Welcome back, everyone. I guess that we can call this a holiday edition of the Wenatchee Apple Sox podcast. I'm Joel Norman, and we're joined by the head coach of the Apple Sox, Mitch Darlington. And Mitch, let me ask you this before we kind of jump into our our topic here today. Uh, you know, if you, as head coach of the Apple Sox, could receive a Christmas gift ahead of the 2023 season, what what might that be in your type of position, hypothetically speaking? And I have to receive, you're saying I have to receive the gift before the season starts is what you're saying? Yeah, it's a gift like before the season. It's something you will get for this year. Man, I wish, uh, I wish Joichiro Oyama would come back to Wenatchee next summer. That'd probably be my biggest gift I could get. <laughs> It'd be a pretty good gift. Pretty good gift. Get the rating <laughs> Go MVP back. I didn't think you'd go with that. I thought you might go with something like, oh, you know, we're going to get, you know, lots of rain out of the way early so we don't have to deal with fires. Because we, we were just talking about that off air a moment ago. I thought it might be something like that. I thought you might say, you know, hey, you know, uh, maybe a few more, you know, sprinklers or something just to keep the grass ready. But no, you go right for Joey Tro. Let's get him back. But no, he'll be right. We, we think he'll be going to the Cape next year. Is that correct? I had a lot of fans ask about that. Yeah, I kind of wanted to tie that in just because I feel like I've been getting so many different people asking, hey, is Joichiro coming back or why haven't you gotten Joichiro back for next summer? Um, I just wanted to get it out there. Joichiro will not be coming back. Um, Credit to him. He's heading to the Cape Cod League next summer uh, and well-deserved on his part. So we were going to wish him the best. Yeah, and that's great news. I want to clarify that to fans. Uh, just because they're playing summer ball, but it's not with the Apple Sox. If they're not doing it with us, I would say we would rather it be that because they're playing in the Cape Cod or maybe even the Northwoods leagues. I would say other than that, we want them back here if they're going to play again. But those two leagues are just a gigantic step up. So uh, obviously thrilled to see what he can do in the Cape next year. Who are some other guys, Mitch, maybe you've been asked about? Hey, is he going to be back? And the answer is no, because he's moving up a level. Oh, uh, that's a good question. We, you know, I get a lot of questions about Ivar Kett um, and kind of seeing what he's up to next summer. Um, uh, he currently is not coming back to Wenatchee. I, I'm actually not sure where he's going to be headed next summer. Um, you know, him, him being from Hawaii, um, you know, you never know with guys like that if they'd head back home for an extended period during the summer. Um uh, other than that, I get a few questions about some of the, honestly, some of the older guys like the Xander Orahudos and CJ Horns and some of those guys who are headed into their final year. Um, but no, neither of those guys will be back as well. Obviously, we're running out of eligibility on their end. Um, doesn't allow for them to return to Wenatchee, so... You know, it's funny, besides those couple of guys you mentioned there, Iva and Joe Ichiro, a lot of the guys who are position players were kind of those age-out territory as where they're and they're in a situation where they're going into that senior year so they can't really play next summer so a good problem to have you've got spots to fill now but uh we're going to obviously get into that roster once we kind of get into the new year which isn't that far away at this point i would think we'll probably be diving into the roster probably in march or so how is the roster construction going we always talk about this on the podcast but as you know it's an ongoing process but uh, you know correct me if i'm wrong right now is typically a fairly slow period for signing because you kind of have a lot of the guys locked up that you signed in the fall correct but you know you're waiting to see who's going to get pulled out kind of closer to or during the college season itself yeah um honestly right now we are we're pretty much completely set um position spots are completely filled up um and then you know we we got to 
a good chunk of arms um, signed, but probably still waiting on five to seven different schools um, who have kind of agreed to basically place an arm with us for next summer. But they're waiting to see how the spring goes and how many innings guys get before um, we we know the name and, and, and know exactly who's coming out here from that school next summer. Um, but no, overall, I'm, I'm really happy with where our roster's at. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to honestly start revealing some of these guys, um, some really, some really great baseball programs that are, are going to be sending guys our way next summer. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised looking at some of the guys we've signed. Um, but I will say overall, we're going to be, we're going to be a little bit younger than we were last year. We, uh, we're going to have some youth on the team still. Not always a bad thing. Not Those guys are usually pretty fresh and ready to go, or uh, sometimes it's a little bit better. It's nice to have the veteran experience. I think you have to have that too, but I think the, the youth could be a really good thing uh, for the Apple Sox in 2023. It's it's fun. Uh, my favorite thing about doing these podcasts, Mitch, is it gets me back into the, the baseball mindset. We were just talking about it. I'm kind of full hockey mode in the offseason, but it's nice every once in a while to, to dip back into the stuff and also dream of a few warmer days down the stretch at some point. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even just, <laughs> even when we start bringing up the roster, I start thinking, man, I wonder how this guy's going to be or this, you know, how this arm is going to be. So it gets me, it gets me already thinking about better days and, and summer coming up here. Do you get it? Do you watch a lot of film on guys, you know, in the off season as you're looking at your recruits or do you kind of just base a lot of the work off just what the coaches are saying to you and when, when they're recruiting or how much homework are you doing yourself? Um, I feel like for the most part, um, you know, you know, the coaches that, you know, you can trust and who give you an honest evaluation or, you know, promote really good talent and want to send you some of their better guys. Um, so for, you know, you're pretty much going off of that. Um, but yeah, I do my, I do definitely do my fair share of instant Google searches. How'd the guy play last year? What do you do in high school? Is there, you know, immediately you're looking at YouTube to see if I can get just at least a video of the guy's swing, um, see if he's been to any showcases where they got footage of him. Um, so, yeah, I do I do my, my fair share of re- research once we've uh, got some names listed and, and some guys that, you know, the schools are promoting. Well, we're hoping that some maybe some of these guys who we're, we get to see on the Apple Sox in this 2023 season can be part of a discussion that we're about to have, maybe at a later date. So we've been teasing this one for a couple of months. We're finally doing it. It's the Apple Sox, Mount Rushmore. Now, uh, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with this. It was kind of a popular topic in sports a few years ago where uh, a lot of sports talk show hosts would come up with uh, the Mount Rushmore for an organization. And the idea of that is that the faces so to speak for the team would be either you know the four best players in team history four most influential people whether it's on the you know court ice field or whatever or off so it could be like executives or players but so we're going to kind of dive into that and I've intentionally left it kind of vague this is just you know four players who really have an influence so Mitch let's get this started with this then who is the first member of your Apple Sox Mount Rushmore yeah, I uh, I feel like this one should be pretty obvious. I mean, I've I've gonna have some recency bias. I've coached for one year in Wenatchee, uh, and we've got one West Coast League MVP last summer, and uh, I've already mentioned his name. So I would say I I've got to, um, and this may be just my biased opinion, but I got to put Joichiro Oyama on my my Mount Rushmore. Um, 
what he did last summer, uh, beyond impressive, man. I mean, just an absolute on-base machine. Um, was you know played every single game for us in West Coast League play. Um, you know, started top of our lineup every single game. We never moved him out of that you know leadoff spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, numerous West Coast League um, broken records with stolen bags, runs. I believe played appearances and games tied the games record. Um, as well as some as well as some Apple Sox um, single season records as well. So. Uh, pretty obvious choice for me, you know, when you've only coached one year in Wenatchee, you got to go with your guy that uh, that did some big things for you. Yeah, such a fun and historic season, obviously. I think his his longevity was the most impressive thing. He was able to play every single day, like you mentioned, played every game. And tied or He tied Apple Sox records for triples and games in a season, broke records for walks, steals, runs, and plate appearances. Broke, as we mentioned, plenty of West Coast League re- records in there as well. Those ones were steals, runs, plate appearances, tied for most games. I mean, and the numbers speak for themselves. Co-MVP this past season, just a phenomenal season for uh, Joey Troa. I think the one that was so impressive to me was the runs, 54 runs. I know 42 stolen bases is an incredible number as well, but – just to be able to score that many times too. It's a product of you being able to get on base and your teammates driving you in. So that was the stat with him that I think really uh, stood out to me the most from this past season. Now I did not put Joey Chiro on mine. Now I I, I went with the, I think three of my picks are going to be picks. Mitch, who you're going to look at and you're going to say that makes sense from what you heard. I don't know if you'll, I don't know if I think you'll agree with my fourth for my rationale, but I don't think you'll expect it. So I will, for my first person on my Mount Rushmore, I'll go with someone who is currently tied in the record books with Joichiro Oyama for one category, and that's who he's tied with for single-season triples. That's Keston Hira. So Hira's a guy who I think his resume has spoken for itself. He's in the major leagues right now with the Milwaukee Brewers, and he is, as I mentioned, tied for the Apple Sox single-season record for triples with six with Joichiro Oyama. But he also is the only man holding single-season Apple Sox records for doubles, which he had 21, and he had 33 extra base hits, as well as 119 total bases. You can't look at the Apple Sox record book and not notice his name for that just unreal 2016, 2015 season rather that he had. Here I hit, he had 356 that year, six home runs, 13 stolen bases. That led the Apple Sox, as did his 42 RBI. So the way I look at him, Mitch, he was just an amazing player on an awful, awful Apple Sox team. I, I hate to say that, but it's true. They were 19 and 35 in 2016, worst winning percentage in the team's 17 years of the West Coast League at 351, and the second worst winning percentage in the 22 seasons of the Apple Sox. So Hero was the light at the end of the tunnel that, of that team. He was the only thing you really had going, and boy, what a year he really had. So that's my first one. You've gone with Joichiro Oyama. Um, let's hear who your second man on your Apple Sox Mount Rushmore is. Yeah, I uh, I actually have Kissing Hero on mine as well. Um, so I can touch, you know, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I, you know, flipping through, kind of went through some season by season stats, just doing my homework. Um, obviously, we've talked about Keston before. Um, you know, he's in um, the Brewers organization, playing in big league base or uh, professional baseball right now. Um, and some of the most impressive things 
you know, I said, I know the team wasn't all that great that year, but when you just look at some of his numbers that summer um, and ju- and then just compare them to like the second, you know, the next guy in that lineup, I mean, it's just ridiculous. 42 RBIs. I don't think people understand th- that is a ridiculous amount of RBIs for summer. Ba- I mean, for a summer baseball season. And then the talk about 21 doubles, six triples, six home runs, like you touched on, 33 extra base hits in a summer season. I I honestly, it's it's incredible to even look at those numbers and then hit the 356. So, um, you know, Joe and Keston Hero, both UC Irvine guys, obviously that's a program that has treated Wenatchee um, to, well, to say the least, um, always sending us quality talent. So, um, yeah, Keston, Keston's making my Mount Rushmore as well. It's so amazing. You look at him and Joe and just the, the years they had, there was a lot of stuff they did that was similar. We talked about the triples, you know, Keston had a few more extra base hits and he had a higher batting average than Joe ended up having, but either way, just ridiculous seasons. Joe was an on base machine because of his ability to draw walks and get base hits. Hero was a guy who more often than not, he was going to get a base hit and he could do other stuff like hit it out of the park. You know, the six home runs, second most on the team shouldn't surprise anyone because when he's been up in the major leagues, he's, he's really hit for some power. So that hasn't been a surprise there. So like we said, I think you have to, any Apple Sox Mount Rushmore has to include uh, Keston Hero on it. Another obvious guy, and this is going to be where I'm not sure if you and I are going to have the same thing because you may have seen it for the players who should be on it. I think any Apple Sox Mount Rushmore has to have Ed Nags on it. Uh, his resume is another guy that speaks for itself. Five West Coast League championships, one Pacific International League title, uh, 493 and 273 all-time uh, record as the skipper for the Apple Sox. He you know, only had one losing season. He had a 14-16 and 16 record in his first year of 2001, and he would go on to have 13 consecutive winning seasons after that. And adds, of course, in that span, 12 consecutive playoff berths besides his final year of 2014. Pretty much until recent years, for the, I'd say the large majority of Apple Sox players who have gone on to play in the major leagues were coached by Ed Nags. Uh, there's been a few in a couple of years who kind of made it those years since, but uh, most of those guys are there because of him. So the just the names that he's helped lead to the next level, it's it's pretty impressive and like I said, you can't have a Mount Rushmore for the Apple Sox without Ed Nags on it. Yeah, you know, now I'm in some ways feeling bad. I, I went through this thinking kind of players only and doing That's okay. season by season stats. Uh, and of course, man, now I'm scratching out names like, yes, of course, Ed Nags has to be on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, well, don't I mean, change it on the fly, though, Mitch. I want to hear who you have because this is worth giving guys their attention anyway. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's it, Ed Nags, it's funny that you bring that up because I always just, when I hear the, like Apple Sox baseball or I think of the Wenatchee Apple Sox, usually the first thing that comes to my mind usually is Ed Nags. It's just like he built Apple Sox baseball into what it is and what Wenatchee baseball is. And, and so really it's just, it's like they go hand in hand. It's just, you just picture him in that uniform and coaching the Wenatchee Apple Sox. So uh, I'm, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up, Joel. Now the one My, thing, uh, I was gonna say the one ahead. thing with Ed, uh, uh, you know, the one thing he did. I, I'm telling you, at some point you've got to do this. You've got to do what Ed did, and he wore a jersey all season long. I, I'm, I'm hoping maybe next year, maybe the year after, maybe it's like a couple years in. You feel like you can do it, but I, I love when the coaches wear the jersey in baseball. It's the only sport. 
Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so moving on to my next one. <clears throat> I, uh, I felt like I had to have this guy in here, um, not only for the summer he had in Wenatchee, but what he has done afterward. Um, and then also being, you know, a hometown Mariners fan. So I, of course, had to throw on Marco Gonzalez, um, which I feel like is the very stereotypical answer just most people would give. But looking at his summer that year, he had nine appearances, eight games started. He had a save that summer, which is kind of impressive for, you know, a guy that started all eight games. And then I'm not sure where the save came, but must have been a high leverage situation, came in, was able to get it done. 52 innings pitched, which I was kind of looking back, and the, the farther down you go in some of these season-by-season season stats, you realize, man, guys used to really be able to ride arms in the summer. I mean, there was another guy I was looking at that got like 65 innings that summer, um, and, and it's just a different – it's a different world now with, with summer baseball. Most guys are on inning limits, and, uh, you know, most guys aren't getting into the 50s and 60s for summer baseball. Um, but 52 innings pitched, only 10 walks and 66 punch outs that summer. So a, a, just a ridiculous uh, ridiculous season on his part. Um, and he wasn't West Coast League Pitcher of the Year. Uh, I didn't look to see in 2010 who that was, but um, somebody must have had a little better numbers. I mean, he had like a 2-7 ERA. Um, so just a, a, a ridiculous summer for Marco. Yeah, he was phenomenal that 2010 season overall, like you mentioned. I, I love that you brought up his walks because, Mitch, that was something to me that season that was just like, wow, just 10 walks and nine appearances. And like you mentioned, how many innings that he tossed? You were wondering. I just pulled out the, the media guide. So 2010's pitcher of the year was Dane Quist of Kelowna. I'm going to have to check the numbers on him in a moment, but hard to okay. think he could have been better than what Marco did that season. Right, right. And I was looking back to the one game that he had a save in actually was his summer debut on the mound. So this was on this was in on June 12, 2010. He tossed the final three innings at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium. So uh, if you're listening to this as a fan, picture that right now. Sometimes when you see a guy coming in is that you don't know where that guy's going to be at at some point. And that's I think what's so fun about the summer is that everyone is on the same playing field. Marco that season was an incoming freshman. He hadn't played yet at Gonzaga. He's probably trying to figure out who he was going to be as a college ball player. And that's what I love about these incoming freshmen. I and mean, Mitch, we saw that with Iva, uh, our cat this past season. There's those moments where there's confidence. You see the flashy plays. And then you see some nights where they're they're trying to figure it out. And it's it's so fun to watch that because you're literally watching their development in front of your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you put that perfect. It's you see the flashes of brilliance. You, you see where that talent is and see why they're going to the schools they're going to and why they're um, so highly recru recruited. But, um, you know, and then you see those moments where you say, man, this guy, this guy's still fresh out of high school. I mean, you know, and he's and he's playing collegiate baseball. So uh, you, you put that well. It's it's so cool for me to see that development because you know, let's go back to Marco on the Mount Rushmore, why he's on there. And I'll, you know, spoiler alert, he's also on mine. That, so that's, that's my third. So just kind of continuing with him. One of the things with Marco that I looked back at and I did a deep dive into his stats was that, you know, that season 2010, he was just, he was phenomenal all year and he pretty much went at least six innings. He did go at least six innings in all 
but a total of, I think, yeah, only two starts he didn't. And in the postseason, he appeared in two games, but in one of them, he had a chance to clinch the West Coast League Championship Series at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium. It was game two against Bend on August 16th. And it's not that he pitched poorly. It's that he didn't pitch the way he pitched all summer because he went five and a third, four runs given up, three earned, five hits, one walk, still punched out 11, which was his second most of the season. But you could tell based on his numbers from earlier in the year, that wasn't what they were used to getting from him. So, and that's where we go back to it's You're seeing these guys develop right in front of you. So it, it's so fun to me, for me to watch these guys struggle at times, try to figure it out and, you, you know, make those adjustments throughout the course of the year. And, you know, going back to Iva, it, Mitch, I think we saw that a ton. I remember his opening night. How could you not remember that? He had that five hit debut with the Apple Sox on opening night at Port Angeles against Port Angeles. He had just gotten into town that day. And then there were nights throughout the summer where, you know, he made a throwing error or two, but Ultimately, he found a way to pick himself up each time. And for me, I get the most excited about the incoming freshmen. And it's frankly, it's because of guys like the Marco Gonzalez's and the Iva Arquettes. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's fun. They haven't even stepped foot on campus, um, you know, and you're and you're just you're a part of their development. You're a part of their career. And um, it's just it's just awesome to see. Iva is one of those guys when he stepped foot in Wenatchee. You know, when we first saw him, you could just immediately tell you're like, this guy's built different. I mean, there's not many six foot six short stops that are uh, this athletic and and this rangy. And he he's a phenomenal player. I'm so excited to see um, how he develops at UW and and where his career goes. Just to talk a little bit more about Marco, just some of the stuff he did. Um, he was a two way player with the Apple Sox that year too. Obviously, the the 66 strikeouts in 52 innings and 276 ERA that was phenomenal, but he even hit 256 in 82 plate appearances. I think it was 26 games in total, but uh, really impressive work from him at the plate. And he also hit a home run in the postseason. I think it was against Kelowna in the first round. That was his only home run he ever hit. And if I remember right, let me check his game log here really quickly. I think that game was at home that he did it. Yes, it was. August 11th against Kelowna, a 14-1 to win. Marco Gonzalez hit a, a home run in that game. So – uh, I think that's wow. something, yeah, that's something you know. As an Apple Sox fan, you could say, "I can't believe that I saw something like that." Man, if someone would have held on to that home run ball, man, you could you <laughs> could bring that to Safeco Field or T-Mobile Park. I mean, and and I, I guarantee you, Marco would probably want to get his hands on that ball again. To yeah, <laughs> his 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 one solo shot or home run shot. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, he was, uh, of course, a future John Olerud Award winner as a two, the best two-way player in college baseball, that one coming in 2013. So, Mitch, I think we're both through our first three guys on our Apple Sox Mount Rushmore. I've done Keston Hira, Marco Gonzalez, and Ed Nags, and then you've done Joeichiro Oyama, Keston Hira, and Marco Gonzalez. Let's hear who your last one is, number four, on your Mount Rushmore, which spot on the Mount Rushmore is he taken? Is it, you know, the George Washington spot? Is it, you know, Teddy Roosevelt kind of in the background or who, who where are we looking at for number four? Number, I mean, honestly, number four, came, it, it, it's so neck and neck between these two guys. Um, and one of, one of these guys is a guy I hadn't even heard of, um, you know, just until diving into the stats and realizing, holy moly, this kid had an incredible season. Um, I had to give it to Michael Taglia. Uh, 
306 average, 10 doubles, five triples, seven home runs that summer. Um, you know, West Coast League MVP, I believe, that summer, correct? Yep, he was that year. Um, obviously went on to go to UCLA, incredible player. Um, but the other guy, I, I, I can't go past this without mentioning this guy, Curtis, and I'm not even sure how to say the last name, if it's Boffus. Bafus. Curtis Bafus. Uh, 2018 West Coast League Pitcher of the Year. Diving into the, his stats, um, holy smokes! I was mentioning Marco throwing, uh, 52 innings. Curtis this summer threw. I'm looking at the stats right here. 65 innings with 17 walks and 72 punchouts. Two two eight seven ERA in 10 games started, 11 appearances. That is an incredible summer on the mound. I mean, 65 innings, 77 punchouts. That's, um, that's again, that's like, you know, comparing Keston Hira's offensive numbers for a pitcher, that's pretty much as dominant as it can get for a summer. So, um, I, you know, had, had never even heard of the guy, pitched it, it looked at Virginia Commonwealth VCU from Woodenville, Washington. Um, I'd be curious to know what uh, his career ended up to be and, and to keep diving in on some of those stats. But, um, wow, I was impressed by those. So does Curtis – you're saying he gets the fourth spot over Tolia or does Tolia get it? I think Tolia gets it. But okay. I, I just I just felt like I had to mention um, Curtis's name in this just because, you know, I was just flipping through the year-by-year stats and I came across that and was like, wow, this that's that's an impressive summer. He was – that was my first year with the Apple Sox. And he was that guy who it felt like if he got the ball, we were going to win that game. And each summer, there's usually one guy uh, that way. 2000, 2018, it was him. 2019, it was Jake Somm. Uh, I think anyone who followed the Apple Sox in 2021 can politely say there was not that guy that season. Um <laughs> uh 2022 i felt like the pitching staff's numbers were bad on paper they're bad but there were some great arms back there and you I mean they had some really really good moments i mean down the stretch jack moffitt was the guy and there's a reason why he started you know the north division championship game there were there were a lot of other guys you know connor ashworth became the guy as a starter down the stretch I don't know who was our, our guy in 2022 that we said, okay, he's on the mound. We're going to win today. But I felt really confident with a lot of the different starting options that pulled out. I mean, Chase Matheny had a little bit of a stretch like that. Um, do you have any other guys you, you can really think of? Like he was the guy where if he was going, you were like, we've got a real good chance tonight. Yeah. I feel like the first guy that comes to mind is Ryan Mullen. Um, we, we just, a lot of games we never gave Ryan great run support. I still think back to the Edmonton game, him going a complete game. Um, and, and we just couldn't find a way to scratch off, scratch out a couple runs. Um, he threw really well against Corvallis. He had some really dominant outings for, um, again, an incoming freshman. Um, but yeah, down the stretch, even guys like Quincy Vassar, like in playoff games, I just felt really yeah. confident with, with giving him the ball. You mentioned Jack Moffitt. Um, Canfield more of, you know, he, he started coming out of the pen a little bit and he, he felt kind of like a guy that was going to shut it down. And um, we had a few arms like that, that you just felt really good when you're handing them the ball, like, okay, this guy's going to go get it done. Yeah. And, and Bafis was definitely that in 2018 for the Apple Sox. It was really cool when he was awarded uh co-pitcher of the year award uh, that season. You mentioned Tolia though, Michael Tolia, just what a great year. And 
two bad summers in Apple Sox history, back to back, 2015, 2016, but two just franchise altering players that fans got to see. Keston Hira the first year, and then the next year you get to see Tolia, two future major leaguers. And that's where we we talked about this before is even in the bad summers, you might see a guy who is going to be someone someday and or already is. And he's establishing that in Wenatchee. And that's kind of what Tolia did in 2016. Just a, a monster year for him overall, the, the stuff he did. He was the Apple Sox most recent MVP winner before Joe Ichiro won a share of it this past season. But yeah, just to quickly jump at the numbers for your number four pick for your Mount Rushmore, though, uh, 306 batting average, 45 games. So he was playing pretty much every night except for nine games. Seven home runs to lead the West Coast League, uh, 40 RBIs. That also led the West Coast League. And again, the next closest guy, and RBIs are a stat that don't necessarily you know, tell the full story, but the next closest guy on the Apple Sox to his 40 RBIs was Jordan Rathbone, and he had 21. So a little bit of a gap there, and partly because of just how big of a bat that Tolia was carrying pretty much every time he, he stepped up to the plate. Uh, fun story with him for a moment, Mitch. I was... On my trek across the country, I was moving in early September from Wenatchee uh, to Lincoln, Nebraska here to be in my hockey job. And I was, I think it was day three of my trek. And I, I stopped in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I was looking, I was I was curious. I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, Denver's not too far away. And I decided spur of the moment on a Sunday morning to drive down to Coors Field because I wanted to see totally a play with the Rockies just because he had gotten recently called up. So I got a chance to see him this past September uh, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Unfortunately, it didn't go deep or anything like that, but it was still really cool to see, you know, a former Apple Sox player making it to the next level and uh, getting some action. And so I always enjoy when we get a chance to do that, regardless of which team they're on. We wanted to take a quick break from today's edition of the Apple Sox podcast to remind you that Christmas is almost here and that Apple Sox gear and tickets make great stocking stuffers for the baseball fan in your life. Head over to AppleSox.com to purchase everything from caps to sweatshirts. Don't forget to purchase an Apple Sox ugly sweater to sport at your upcoming family Christmas gatherings and be the talk of the whole party. You can also purchase season tickets or a 10-game package there. If you listen to the Apple Sox podcast, you're definitely a diehard Sox fan, and we want to thank you for your support. All podcast listeners can use the code PODCAST at checkout to receive 20% off their entire order at AppleSox.com. That's code PODCAST for 20% off. Now, back to today's podcast. Okay, Mitch, so Tolly is your number four, so let's switch over to my number four to wrap things up. And again, just to recap for everyone so far, you've had Joichiro Oyama, Keston Hira, Marco Gonzalez, and then Michael Tolia. And for my first three, I've had Keston Hira, Marco Gonzalez, and Ed Nags. And my number four, this is the one that I thought was going to be unconventional. Now, obviously, I've already gone that way, apparently, with Ed. But my number four is going to be someone who, statistically speaking, you're not going to find him in record books, except for one thing. He played all four years that he could with the Apple Sox and is the only player in Apple Sox history to appear in four years. So I'll start this out as a trivia question then, Mitch. Are you familiar with who that is? He played four, has played all four summers with the Apple Sox? He's, yes. I will say he is a Central Washington native, and he still lives in Central Washington. Oh, man. It's got to be like... A Gebbers and Brewster, maybe? That's correct. It's John Gebbers. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's played. He played the first four years of the franchise's history: 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. And his career had its ups and downs, but the one thing that stood out to me besides playing all four years was just his ability to always be on the field. His first three years with the Apple Sox, he played all but two games. So that was playing 60 games you know, over his final two seasons, 30 games played 20, 2001, 30 games the next year. He played 28 of 30 games in 2000. So this was a guy who was out there for every game, which – we were talking about Joe Ichiro earlier, and you just have to be. You have to be out there all the time. And that's so important, and it means a lot to uh, the coaching staff and your teammates as well. He His first year in 2000, John hit 287, which was second best on the Apple Sox. And it was, it was their first year. It was a struggling team. But um, he hit 287 that season. As I mentioned, only missed two games, 10 RBI. Took a little bit of a step back the next year, 226. Did hit one home run. 14 RBI in 30 games, but as I mentioned, didn't miss a game. 2002, again, played every game. His 113 at-bats also led the team, hit 221 with 12 RBI, but kind of ended on a really high note in 2003. Uh, uh, Gebbers hit 444, but he only played in 12 games. But even despite that, Mitch, it was a really good 12 games that season because he had 11 RBI, seven doubles, and two home runs that season. So kind of went out on a bang, even if he didn't play every single game like he did most other years. So John Gebbers is my fourth and final member of my Apple Sox, Mount Rushmore. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I, and and something I would have never known. I I I remember you had talked about it a little bit last summer, and I had remembered seeing some Gebbers early on and in, in some Apple Sox year by year stats. But, um, you know, I thought for a second there, I was thinking it's not Tyler Chipman. I think not quite. Chipman's played what three seasons with the Apple Sox? Yeah, he played three years: 2018, 2021, and twenty twenty two. Right. Okay. So, yeah, wow. John Gebbers, the only guy to play in all four years I put on there. But uh, I, I thought that was something we, we've, especially in recent years with Summer Ball, we've talked about how guys, again, for various reasons, some, you know, some were all on board with others. We go, oh, you know, I wish they would play more. But you don't see guys really begin a season and end it too often, or you don't see as many as you used to. So for a guy who – played most of the seasons that he was with the Apple Sox and did it all four years. For me, he's got to be on there for that, at least that sentimental reason. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's impressive. So I would like to give a couple uh, honorable mentions. You've given Curtis Bathus. Um, I think I, I like the Tolia pick and he was one of my honorable mentions. The other one, I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention him too. Uh, Jim Corcoran, founder of the Apple Sox owner general manager for the up from the team's founding up until 2000 and kind of helped a little bit in 2018, but he had sold the team um, that year. The, the funny story I always tell people is that Jim hired me. And then I came to Wenatchee on my first day was the day that the team announced the sale. So I thought, well, did I drive from Pennsylvania to Washington to lose a job or, <laughs> but fortunately still work it out. So uh, but I, I have to put Jim on there. Did a ton of great stuff. He's really helped, in addition to Sandy Cooperider and plenty of others, really helped make Paul Thomas Senior Stadium just a f fantastic facility for the Apple Sox and for Wenatchee Valley College. Absolutely. Any other, any other honorable mentions for you, Mitch? No, I you know I'd written down those five guys. Um, 
you know, no, I'm, I'm trying to think of any others that may come to mind, but um, no, nothing, nothing on my end. Yeah. You mentioned Tyler Chipman. I think, you know, I, I think we could go off topic about that. Um, I found out recently he's kind of, he's making some decisions about his baseball career. It looks like he's kind of nearing the end of that, but I remember thinking, Mitch, how cool was that, that, that final game he pitched in that second to last game of the year when he got the start for the Apple sucks. That was, we had our favorite moments of the summer podcast already. And that was one, I don't know if we brought it up, but I thought that was worth mentioning right now. That was really cool considering how hectic his baseball career had been. It was pretty cool to see him that night. Uh, that second to last game of the regular season, pitching it at home and pitching really well as a starter that night. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, th- and that night, um, uh that actually helped us or, or clinched uh, winning the second half um, for the North. So um, yeah, I love chip, man. He, uh, he, he, he's all about the Apple Sox and, and it was really cool to see him be able to do that in front of his family and, and, and hometown. Yeah. He had six strikeouts that night, four innings, just one run allowed two hits, just really fun stuff for him. And that gets me thinking, Mitch, how much do you keep in touch with some of your, the guys from this past summer? We talked about the fans asking you about them. Do you have any guys that you, you know, maybe they've reached out, they've called you, you've called them, uh, or or you just texted them and say, hey, you know, saw this recently. Have, have you had any guys like that? Because I think fans would love to hear, you know, these guys are still feeling like they're connected to the Apple Sox. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely, uh, I would probably say about, you know, 10 to 12 guys that um, I'll text, you know, not on a regular basis, but every couple months and just kind of see how the fall went for them or check in. Um, and then we, you know, then you get a couple players, um, you know, speaking about Ivar Kett, um, Ivar Kett and Ryan Mullen who have texted me about, um, friends of theirs or guys they've played with that would be interested in coming to Wenatchee. Joichiro Yama was another one texted me, had a guy, had an outfielder that, um, he had played with and he kind of wanted to put in a good word for him. So, um, I love that stuff, man. The, the players are our biggest promoters. So when they can go back to school and, and have nothing but good things to say about Wenatchee and, and the Apple Sox and, um, and and be recommending guys for us or, hey, coach, you know, you should look into this kid. Um, I, I love that kind of stuff. And it, and it shows me that they care and that, and that they want to see us, us succeed, whether they're with us or not. The thing that always makes me smile is if I see them post a picture where they're wearing maybe one of their hats or a t-shirt from the summer. That's always the thing. It's like, okay, it, it's pretty cool that it left that much of an imprint still on you. And I, I always enjoy seeing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, re- recently I saw Iva post a, a photo in some, some Utah baseball gear or practice, and and I saw Ryan Mullen had been commenting on the picture and said, Wenatchee over, or Wenatchee's better than Seattle or something like that. <laughs> Wenatchee's greater than Seattle. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny that, these guys will be connected forever because of stuff yeah. like that, you know, just the summer they had in Wenatchee. And, and so it's awesome to see that. Yeah. It is so cool to see, uh, you know, you mentioned fall ball and I, I I was thinking about that. I don't know. We talk about fall baseball a lot for fans. Can you explain, I'm aware of what goes on with it, obviously, but explain to fans what the fall ball season is like, because it's arguably just as important as a lot of that work in the spring, right before the season starts because of the good weather in many of these places. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the fall is, uh, I mean, it's a really important time for any collegiate baseball player. Um, you know, basically you get when, you know, when you're showing up early September till basically when the snow hits. So, 
um, you know, three months until guys are heading home on Christmas break. Um, and so it's a really important time, especially when you're an incoming freshman to, um, you know, kind of make a statement and uh, make an impact and, and show coaches uh, the type of player you are. Um, a lot of times these schools are um, scrimmaging other schools on weekends. You know, there were some really cool games played this fall. I saw that um, Oregon State scrimmaged Gonzaga. Um, actually, um, it at uh, forget the name of the Bend Elks um, Stadium. Benzgana. Benzgana Stadium. Benzgana. Yep. That was so yep. cool. Yeah, so Oregon State, yeah, they played, a, I believe, a doubleheader um, at Vince Genna and, and so stuff like that, you know, live, live competition and, um, going and playing other schools. And, um, it's just a really important time to kind of make your stamp and, and show coaches, you know, the kind of role that you're going to be having going into spring. So, um, I, I always like to check in and see how got, how the fall went for different players and, and see how things are going. Yeah, that was so cool when they did that game there. It got me thinking it'd be so cool if we could get another one at Paul Thomas. I don't know if you knew this. This was 2010. There was a a this was a regular season college baseball game that was played between Washington State and Seattle U at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, seeing the Vince Guinness stuff, I I thought this the exact same thing, Joel. I was thinking, man, we're kind of a perfectly central location and uh in Washington, it'd be perfect to see if we could get like, you know, the Cougs or the Huskies, someone like that, come over and see if we can get a scrimmage here one of these years. Yeah. If any of their coaches are listening, you know, feel free to reach out to any of us. Email info at applesquest.com. <laughs> uh, our, our office number is 509-665-6900. Just throwing it out there. We would love to have them come at some point, but uh, I, I've always thought that'd be a fun thing to do again. I, I don't know how it got organized. I haven't found the full story of that, but to me, that's one of those more unique events uh, that's ever happened at Paul Thomas senior stadium. The other one I always think of is, uh, I don't know if you knew this one. I think I told you this this summer that Willie Nelson once performed at Paul Thomas senior stadium. Yes. That Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I still, I, I just can't believe that. I find that really hard to believe, but uh, that's amazing. What bothers me about that is I haven't found any photos. There's got to be someone out there. Again, <laughs> if you have photos of that, please send those to us. I'm, I tell people this, like I, I keep way too much stuff in general, but no, I went to school and besides focusing on sports broadcasting, I was really big into history. So I want to have, I always want to have records of everything. So if there's any other funky things that have happened at Paul Thomas, you know, we'd love to know about that, but yeah, Mitch, that's the challenge for us now. The next couple of years is what, what other fun stuff can we get there? That's, out there but it's something we'll always remember too so um well mitch i think that that about wraps it up here i guess this will be the this is probably the last podcast we'll do before christmas so hope you enjoy that um and hopefully uh you know you get a good good chance to just relax a little bit here and then get a little time off from your work as well and and then we get back into it and before we know it we flip the calendar and we really start thinking about baseball absolutely yep 2023 is coming in quick here yeah, coming up fast. And like we've mentioned before, Apple Sonic season tickets are on sale right now. If you want to purchase those, you can do so by visiting applesocks.com. We've also got a 10-game ticket package on there. You get 10 tickets. You can use those for any game. You could use 10 tickets for one night, or you could divide those tickets up for over how many games you want until they're all used up. So head over to applesocks.com, or as I mentioned, call us at 509-665-6900. That'll do it for this edition of the Apple Sox podcast. Happy holidays, and we will talk to you most likely in the new year.